go into that wonderful season of the shapocalypse, right? Where you're presented with all of the things you think you need, but you really don't. Where you're made to feel like you're a loser because you don't have the latest, greatest thing. Yeah? It's like, man, my TV's not 60 inches. It's only 54. I'm a loser. Man, I don't have the new, I don't have the latest, greatest smartphone. Mine's a year old, you know? That's how they do it to us, right? They end up, you know, you're like, you're a loser. You're a winner if you have this. Oh, that's like so last season. That's like so, so last month. And so what happens is, is in this time of year is that there's often a time we're presented with what we don't have and we're presented with the longing for what we do want. And it, what gets lost in the curve and which is really very common is uh, there's a lack of gratitude. We don't really look at what we have. We're more concerned about what we don't have. So we're doing a series called Your Stress, His Rest. In case you didn't know this, 90% of all doctor visits are stress-related. Whether it's high blood pressure, hypertension, something, the majority of visits to the hospital are directly related to stress. And as I've been researching all of this, I found something very fascinating is that in 2007, they began to study gratitude. Well, my only problem with that is, is what happened to the rest of the time? No, they, we haven't studied gratitude until 2007, right? So for the last whatever, they've, no, one, no one has ever really even looked at the psychological, sociological, physical benefits that actually come from gratitude. We study depression. We study psychology typically is negative psychology. We study what's wrong with you. And what shifts is when we begin to study what's right with us. And that's when everything begins to shift, and w or what will make us right. Not what are the causes and the roots of your depression, but what will actually bring you out of depression. Not what are the causes and, and roots of your anger, but what will bring you out of the anger. So the overwhelming results of the study has been that the, it produces the gratitude. People who live with an attitude of gratitude have higher levels of psychological health, especially in dealing with stress. Stress is a compound, is our compound effects of negative emotions. So it's important to understand what stress is. Your deadline is not your stress. It's the negative emotion that comes from your deadline. Well, what's going to happen if I don't meet the deadline? Or what's going to happen if I don't perform? Or what's, what are people going to think of me if I don't make it? You know, that's where the stress comes from. The deadline isn't necessarily the stress. The timeline isn't the stress. The relationship isn't the stress. It's all of the emotional stuff or the perception the negative emotions that go into the relationship. That's where the stress comes from. And so what gratitude is, is it's the intentional release of positive intent, if that makes sense to you. You're intentionally releasing something that's positive. You're intentionally seeing something that's positive. Ingratitude comes from a negative perspective. Gratitude comes from a positive and hopeful perspective. Greater overall sense of well-being, increased immune function. These are their findings when they studied gratitude among people. Improved feelings of connectedness during times of loss and crisis. That's a benefit. Increased levels of self-esteem because you're no longer looking at yourself. You're being grateful. And so you actually begin to feel better about yourself because it's not as bad as you think or perceive. And you're actually looking what you do have or what is going right rather than everything that's going wrong. Your energy level increases. You ever feel really down and negative? When you have a negative perception, you don't want to go forward. You don't want to do anything. You know, it weighs heavy on you. Hard to get out of bed, hard to be motivated, hard to do anything. But when you have a thankful attitude, energy levels increase. Strengthen heart, immune system, and decrease blood pressure. Hello. Right? It's all through gratitude or thanksgiving. Improved emotional and academic intelligence. I love that. We talk about freeing our mind or expanding our capacities to see and understand. If you want to expand and see the, the capacities, what they, what they discovered was that people who had attitudes and were intentionally giving thanks, that they actually were creating new neural pathways in their brain. You can actually shape the way you think through an attitude of intentional thanksgiving. And they had increased emotional intelligence and academic intelligence. Wow, could it be that we are arrestedly developed because we don't have attitudes of thanksgiving? Could it be that we're arrestedly developed because we're not intentional, we, we think too much about ourselves? 
And we're restively developed emotionally. We're restively developed like intellectually because we're not having a, a broader perspective of gratitude. Expanded capacity to forgive, de decreased stress and anxiety, depression, headaches, improved self-care, and a greater likelihood to exercise. Hello? <laughs> Man, I'm not motivated for the gym. I'm just going to be thankful. Man, I thank you, Lord, that I have the opportunity to exercise. <laughs> yes, ha ha, ha 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 ha. Heightened spirituality. What they discovered when people were had thankful attitudes was that they had an increased perception. They were able to see things bigger than themselves. As I'm popping my zipper here. My zipper just broke. You believe me? Oh, great. What was that? Ooh. What's going on? There it is. That just had a perception of my own that just happened. So they had an ability to see things bigger than themselves. And so what they targeted that as, as um, they saw that as uh, somebody with a heightened spiritual awareness. 76 times the Bible says thankful, be, to be thankful. There's a difference between having gratitude and giving thanks. You understand that? You can be a grateful person, but you never give thanks. There are lots of people that feel gratitude, but they never give thanks. Let's say this together. Gratitude is an attitude, but giving thanks is an intention. It's actually called thanksgiving. Thankful. Full of thanks. And thankfully give. Thanksgiving must have an object. What they realized was when, they, when Thanksgiving was placed upon something greater than themselves or someone greater than themselves, people had greater senses of contentment. This is all stuff that we learn just by studying human psychology and, and studying human behavior and patterns of behavior. It's something that the Bible's been talking about for literally thousands of years. 76 times it tells us to give thanks. And what does the Bible tell us and how, what can we learn from the scriptures as we learn what Thanksgiving actually is? And we see, that, okay, from a human perspective, there's a lot of emotional, spiritual, psychological, and intellectual benefits. But what, what does it actually look like? Next slide, Deb. Thanksgiving is intentional. You have to do it. What does that mean? You don't feel like giving thanks. Is anybody here? When you go to give thanks, you don't feel like it. You don't feel like it. It's like you don't feel like serving God. You don't feel like worshiping God. You don't feel like these things. The scripture never tells us to follow our feelings. It tells us that feelings oftentimes experientially for the Christian are a direct result of the actions that we're taking. I don't feel saved half the time. Anybody in the room? You feel born again every day? Woo! Jump out of the bread, springing out of the bed. Thank you, Jesus. I'm born, I'm born again. John 3, 3, you know, quoting it. <laughs> we don't. My, you might be aware of it. Your heart may understand it, but you don't feel it. When you feel it is when you enter into it. When you enter into worship with the Lord and you enter into an experience and encounter, then you feel it. It's the same thing with Thanksgiving. You have to enter Thanksgiving. You have to step into Thanksgiving. Worship is another dynamic that's given. And here's what we train Christians to do. We don't tell them what this looks like. We train Christians to just kind of stand there and wait for the mood to hit you. Or hold up a scorecard. Yeah, the band, that was a 7.9. Pastor, yeah, it was like, I don't know, we're going to give you a 6 today. You know, rather than we stand objectively, rather than entering in. When worship is happening, you enter into it. You enter into it. You step into it. It's the same thing as who you are as a Christian. To be who you really are, you have to enter into Christ. And guess what? That door's always open. He doesn't close it. All you got to do is, is worship him. All you got to do is enter into him, and he, he, his spirit comes to you. That person that you are in the spirit, that is your eternal identity. When you worship God and you're in his spirit, don't you like you? You're barely even conscious of you. Everything's just great, and this is amazing. That's who you are for eternity. This person over here that's not in the spirit, that person is passing away. The new creation is in the spirit. And so we, and, but yet as Christians, we tend to live between two worlds. We're created to live between two worlds. That's how God designed us, to live between time and space and to have access to the eternal. Our role as Christians is to pull from that world into this one. That's our role. That's who we are. Somehow we've either not been taught that or we've completely lost focus of what that actually is. That's the destiny of the believer. When we learn to access that world and bring that world into our own, then transformation happens. 
We go there, we get peace. We go there, we get surety. We, I'll give you an even bigger one. Faith doesn't come from you. We go there to get faith. You ever try to look to yourself for faith? How's that work? Doesn't work very good. I try to look to myself for faith. I tell the story of a lady. <laughs> we're at a, we're at a, um, we're at a Bible study, and I've been trying to get this lady to come for a walk because I want to pray for her. She has problems with her back. She can't get out of bed. I'm like, get that woman here. I'm like, wheel her in on a gurney. I don't care. Get her here. You know, make it happen. And so uh, she finally comes. I get her. She comes to the Bible study that we were doing, and I ask her to, uh, um, you know, I ask her to stand up. She starts telling me all this other stuff, and you know, no, I can't move. And she's like, I have all these problems with the weather, and I'm all. I'm down, I'm there, I'm in the zone, I'm in the pocket, I'm ready to go, let's go, let's pray this on. And then she goes to me, I have metal in my back. Boom, my faith was gone in a moment. I was like, she's like, I have metal in my back. For some reason, I couldn't see that happening in the natural now. All of a sudden, I was like, what? And so she starts telling me, I got this metal in my back, I can't move, you don't understand, all this stuff's going on with me and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there nodding all the time, and I'm immediately praying and asking the Lord, I'm like, what do I do now? And the Lord says to me, the first thing you do is stop looking to yourself for faith. Stop looking to you for faith. Look to me. Faith comes from heaven. Have the faith of God. Faith in and of itself is a gift. He gives to us the measure of faith. So what does that tell us? So we have given the measure of faith, and then we can access the faith of God. So that means that faith doesn't come from you. Aren't you glad? Aren't you happy? You are not responsible to generate faith. You are responsible to position yourself and access it and release it, receive it, however it works. But faith doesn't come from you. It's even how people come to Christ. The gospel's preached and the Lord releases faith. He illuminates the heart. That didn't come from the individual. That's why people go, well, I, I feel like I should give my life to Jesus, but my head, it just doesn't make sense because it's not coming from you. The revelation, the reality of what's being spoken to you is not coming from you. It's coming from heaven. And so we don't have all of these things that we, they're given to us. We access that world to bring it to ours. And this is the problem. We're trying to operate as Christians, and we're teaching within our churches. And I'm all for principal teaching. You hear it here. I'll teach you principles all day long. But God help me that I not teach you principles and tell you that it comes only through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. I'm going to set some people free here this morning. We're just going to just going to have a hamburger roast because we're going to get rid of all the sacred cows. And we're going to make some steaks over here. You know, kind of what we're going on. So what the problem is is like what we think as is that Jesus tells us to do certain things, and we do not possess the ability to do them. I want you to be clear. I want to be very clear on that. Everything Jesus tells you to do, you do not possess the ability to do. Yet somehow we teach people and pound it at them that they're supposed to do it. They cannot without the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Henry, would you like to step up and tell us how that's done? He can't do it. He can't do it. In the Spirit, he can. But as a human, his love for her and his ability to love and meet that relationship requirement is very limited but in the spirit he's absent of himself and he's not thinking of himself he's seeing the love of god is flowing through his heart now he has the power to perform the very thing that god is telling him to do forgiveness that's a big one. Oh, we talk about forgiveness oh you need to just forgive him brother you just need to forgive and forget forgive and forget have you ever tried that no i'm serious have you ever tried to forgive you in your ability cannot you can't when you're in the spirit, you can forgive, right? Anybody be in the spirit? Man, you forgive everybody. I told a story first service. It's all my favorite Christmas stories. My uncle, my, my dad and my, my dad's family would get together. Beer drinkers and hell raisers. Terry hates it when I say that, but that's what I come from. So, uh, hey, wahoo, that's me. Uh, my uncle would come over, and uh, he would uh, inevitably, at Christmas time, Christmas Eve, uh, my, my uncle was a sales manager for Ford, and so uh, he would get, get a good buzz going, and about four or five beers into him, he'd start whipping out his wallet and hand out 20s, you know? And so all the kids knew, when Uncle Ozzy's got a good one rolling, he's going to start doling out cash. And so we'd be like, how many beers has he had? Oh, he's, he's on his fourth? And we'd all just go around and stand at the table, and he'd be like, where's my wallet? Okay, here, you boys, take some of this, you guys take some of this. He was insanely generous, insanely giving, insanely loving. When he was under the influence. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. What we are in the spirit, the Bible likens us to drunk people. You ever thought about that? It's the book of Acts. 
they're not drunk as you suppose. What were they doing? They were loving. They were forgiving. They were being kind. They were, woo, there was a lot of whole bunch of stuff going on there. And the perception to people were like, what are you, drunk? Are you like high or something? What, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like that? Why are you loving so much? Why are you being so kind? Why are you being so gracious? Why are you being so generous? Why are you talking like that? What's going on with you? Because they were under the influence of the spirit. That's who we are. That's, if you want to get really truly honest, that's how Jesus expects us to live. He expects us to live from that place where we're just like, it's all good. You ever try to forgive somebody? You're in the spirit. You can forgive anybody. When you're not in the spirit and it's Monday morning and you're tired and you're hungry and you're whatever, you can't forgive anybody. Somebody cuts you off on the way to the hot turnpike or whatever, man, you're going off, right? And the devil's right there going, oh, Mr. Christian, you know, or better yet in my pay place, oh, Mr. Pastor, your middle finger's not the sign of the cross, man. And I say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me in spite of me. <laughs> it's true. But the burden that we carry, this is what Christian liberty looks like. Christian liberty looks like, I can't do it anyway. I'm free. There's no condemnation on me. Jesus asked me to forgive. Well, okay, I know I want to forgive, and so I can't try to generate forgiveness, so here's how I forgive. I come here. I come to this place, and then I can forgive. I come here, I come to this place in the spirit, and then I can love, then I can serve. You can't do it, human effort. That's what Paul told the Galatians, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, do you now think you can actually do this in the flesh? Galatians 1, do you think that you're born again in the spirit, given access to the spirit, and having all of this given to you, do you think that what Jesus is telling you to do, you can actually do in the flesh? The works of the law, no one is justified. Nobody is justified by external works. We're justified in the Spirit. In the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit. Holy Spirit matters, people. Matters. So, you know, when you, next time you get five ways to a better marriage and the God, pastor doesn't tell you about the Holy Spirit, there's a problem. Because guess what? You can't do it. You can't. Well, you just need to love your life like Christ loves the church, brother. I want to walk up and I go, how do I do that? Well, you just self-sacrificially do it. You just deny yourself. Really? You ever tried to deny yourself? Let's just put a plate of brownies out in front of you, and let's see how much you, you know, I mean, like, look, look, at, look at the things that call us and attract us. We have a hard time denying ourselves in anything. Really, it's true. And that's okay. It's okay to see what's true and then see where the greater reality is. This is true. I can't forgive. This is true. I'm not worthy of salvation. This is true. I'm not worthy of a lot of things, and I'm not deserving of anything. That, all of that is true. But in Christ, he has made me worthy. He, why? Not because of me. That's why it's called amazing grace. That's why we love him. Because he loves you just like you are. And he takes you from where you are and makes you who you're supposed to be. That's what he does. Thanksgiving is intentional. You're not going to feel it. You have to do it. Let's say it together. I will. Say it again. I will. Bless the Lord at all times. Let's say this together. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see what he's saying there? I will. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for the moment to hit me. I'm going to do it. Worship is in the room. I'm not going to wait for it. I'm going to enter. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it. And people look at this, and this is always my favorite story about David, particularly with the Psalms. The majority of the Psalms were not written from a palace. Jesus, Jesus, David's not sitting back with his feet up with a beautiful buffet and he's got lyricists running around playing uh, notes for him so that he can get some inspiration to write some music. David is writing this from a desert sitting on a rock with his life threatened. Everything he had could have been easily lost at any moment given the wrong situation. And he knew it. And you know what he said? Regardless of what's going on around me, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in your, but your house is burnt down your, nobody loves you nobody wants you around david you're hunted the only people that you find solace with are the people that actually hate god's people you're an outcast david nobody cares about you doesn't matter i will bless the lord at all times his praise will be in my mouth and then he says magnify the lord with me oh here's the better one the humble and the downtrodden will hear it and rejoice you know what he's saying be humble the humble and the downtrodden if you're humbled and downtrodden you're having a hard time, that's your answer. That's your remedy. 
He doesn't say the successful and the achieving here at NR, our, our, will do it. He tells you that the humble and the downtrodden are humble. And what he's doing, he's modeling it for us. The story of David's life and a lot of the things in the Bibles are models. They're models of what goes right and what goes wrong. They're models of right attitudes, wrong attitudes. They're models of what God can do in any situation, like that one. Saying, look at me, I'm humble, I'm downtrodden. You think you got it bad? Read David's life. This went on for years. Over a decade, the guy spent his life on the run. 16 years old, can you imagine? 16 years old, you come in, prophets in your house, bam. Crazy looking old dude with some fancy robe on, got a big horn hanging off his belt, right? All your brothers are there. You walk in the room and all the brothers are looking at you. The guy walks up to you, says, kneel down. You kneel down, pours anointing oil over your head, declares you to be the next king. Wow. You're thinking, this is going to be cool. When's this going to happen? It didn't happen for decades. He went through the wilderness, was hunted, was abused, was neglected, was despised. Somewhere along the line, he might have said, wait a second, I don't think that thing that that guy said to me is exactly true. Anywhere along the line, he would have done it. He said, no, I remember my prophetic destiny. I remember what God has spoken over my life, and I will not relent. My hope is not in this world. My hope is from that world. What God said he will do. That's why prophetic word is so important. It's insanely important. This is what I say to people all the time. I was like, we, we treat, and this is, this is Cap, Pastor Kevin just giving you a little sidebar here. <laughs> yes, I said, I will. Uh, so I'm saying, did I say this? Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. All right, okay. We treat God as we say, God wrote a book, but he's lost his voice. That's how we treat the Lord. It was only the Bible. There's nothing new to be said. There's no prophetic word. There's no thing that's profound. And I'm all for it. I'm a biblicist, man. I'm, I'm hardcore Bible. But he's not lost his voice. He's still speaking, still speaking, and he's speaking life. So Thanksgiving is intentional. It's determined action. First Thessalonians, let's say it together. I will give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for me. We wonder where the will of God is. There's lots of places, yes, there's a, there's a will of God for you, but there's oftentimes in the Bible he illuminates specifics. This is one of the specifics. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, the will of God right here is that you give thanks in everything. Yeah, but it's not going my way. He didn't say that. He didn't ask you that. You say, yeah, but I don't feel like it. He didn't ask you that either. He didn't say, hey, Kevin, do you feel like it? Would you like to give thanks? You feeling it today? Feeling that? No, he says, do it anyway. You do it anyway. It's, deten- it's, it's, it's intentional. Intentional. The access to that world is opposed, so you're aware. For you to access, this is an important factor as well. Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence or opposition. Kingdom, the dominion, the rule and reign of God is what is being opposed. The rule and reign of God. What is the rule and reign of God? His world to ours. The rule of his world into ours is being opposed. That's what he's saying. Those who want his world in your world must take it by force. That's what he says. In other words, worship is opposed. It's not convenient for you to worship. It's not convenient for a lot of you to be here this morning. It's convenient to put your head on the other side of the pillow where it's nice and cool. No no one ever has a sleep problem. Christians don't necessarily have sleep problems on Sunday morning. Saturday morning, man, you, you, you can't sleep at all. But Sunday morning, oh, my gosh, you just could sleep till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't understand why. I just feel so relaxed on Sundays. <laughs> it's not convenient for you to be here. But you're accessing the dominion and the rule and the reign of God. We have to intentionally access that world through Thanksgiving. It takes intention, not feeling. It takes intention. There is a resistance Anytime there is a resistance, it means there's something good on the other side. That's the point. Thanksgiving is intentional. Thanksgiving opens gates. Opens gates. I'll tell you a little journey I've been on with the Lord as he gives me these verses. And I'm like, oh, I know that verse. I know that verse. I do know that verse. It's like my enter the gates of Thanksgiving. You know, he shows you that verse. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. I know that verse, Lord. He's like, what, what do you think I'm saying there, Kevin? That's what he'll say to me. What? What exactly do you think I'm saying? And then I have to look back and I have to go, well, what is it that you are saying? What does that mean? What does that look like? What do people teach about this? 
we sing a lot of the stuff, and we do a lot of the stuff that Jesus says, and we treat it like poetry. More than a conqueror. Woo! What does that mean? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Is that a poem, or is that a truth? Is that something that's out there in the distance, or is that something that I can access and walk in right now? Those are the questions. What does it mean? To those who received him, he gave him the, son, the power to become the sons and daughters of God. What does it mean? Woo, that's just a poem. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if I receive him, I can be his daughter. I can be his son. What a wonderful thing. La-di-da. Really? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? What are the implications? What are the ramifications? What are the possibilities of me understanding that? What would change if I really understood that? What would shift? Then we read verses like this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Da, 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 da. Great. I'm not against it. I'm just calling forth that I don't think that Jesus is just giving us surface material here. I believe that when you praise, you enter into gates. You enter into realms. That's the point. You ever give thanks to God? You ever taken a moment, and this is your, your lesson for the week, write it out and stand in your room and lock the door or whatever, go in your bathroom, lift your hands, open your mouth, and thank God. Thank Him for anything and everything. And just let it roll. I thank you that my shoelaces are pink. I thank you that my shoes are brown. I thank you that, you know, I thank you that you've given me a roof over my head. I thank you that, you know, whatever it is, just, I mean, just lay it out there and thank Him for anything and everything you can. And you watch what happens to you when you're done doing that. You just accessed something. You just went into the gates. You just went into the courts. You're in an arena, right? And this is another thing the Lord's been dealing with me on. You think it's all about my presence, Tyler? And I'm all for the presence. I'm 100,000% about his presence. But his presence is to incorporate power. And his power is to incorporate into purpose. We build camps. I'm all about his presence. Some, some churches, some Christians aren't even at this point. Peter saw the presence and he's like, let's build a house. It's good for us to be here, Lord. The presence and the glory is here. Let's establish a memorial from now until the end of time. This is wonderful. Jesus said, you don't get it. It's not just about my abiding presence. You should take it with power and purpose. Jesus went down into the mountain with power and delivered a boy with purpose. What was his purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. This is a manifestation of the devil. This boy is demonized to a sickness and an illness. Jesus took the presence, brought down power, and then initiated purpose. That is what the Christian is called to. This is who we are. You know, and we can't even get people to the place of presence. And I'm all for presence. And that's a big move in the church today. It's all about his presence. It's all about his presence. I'm 100% for it. I mean, we've got Methodist churches singing about presence. We've got Baptist churches singing about presence. Thank God for presence. But where's the power? From presence to power to purpose. That's the goal. And we're all, we're, or we're nothing more than Peter. We're just building houses and memorials. You know? Oh, we got a house here. The memorial. Why? Because his glory's here. His presence. Take the presence with power and purpose. It's determined action. Thanksgiving opens gates and gives you access to things you didn't have access to. You ever lack wisdom? Go before the Lord. Father, I just thank you that wisdom is made available to me. I thank you right now, Lord. I just access your mind. I just come into your presence. I come into your spirit right now, right now, Lord. And I thank you that you're just releasing wisdom upon me. I thank you that I may not know what I'm doing, but you will give me the wisdom to know what I'm doing. I thank you that you will give me the courage to do what it is that I know to do or you want me to do. We, you know, it, you're even asking him, but you're asking him from, from the standpoint of thanksgiving. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Those are barriers between us and the spirit. This is in the next slide. This is important. Your body is created to interact with this world. This is what this looks like. This is called the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Jesus came to proclaim. We teach people we come, he came to proclaim the gospel of salvation. He did not. He came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Totally different. Is salvation important? Yeah, salvation is the entry point to the kingdom. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world and then the end shall come. Well, what is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel's king's dominion. The rule and the reign of God into every facet and aspect of life. That's what it looks like. We are the proclaimers of the gospel of the king's dominion. That's what it means. And so what happens is, is you and I were created to be between two worlds. Adam was created to live in time and space and access the spirit. 
And so what did God tell Adam to do? He told Adam, as above, so beneath. Take from heaven and make it known upon the earth. That's what he told Adam. As you see, so do. Create culture. Subdue rule, subdue, multiply. What culture was Adam supposed to create? He was supposed to create the culture of that world in this world. What does the devil do? The devil comes into our world and he creates a culture. Right? He creates a culture of darkness, deceit, lies, greed, violence, murder, hate. We create the opposite culture. We're actually the ones who are actually the ones called to create it. Our body was created to interact with this world. Your spirit is created to interact with that world. It's impossible for you to interact with God unless you're born again. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. When you give your life to Christ, the very first thing he does is he, t- he touches your spirit. makes your spirit born again. Your mind's not born again, nor is your body. But your spirit is. There's something happening here. You know, you're like, I want to worship the Lord. Well, I'm thinking about work tomorrow. I'm hungry. You know, your body's going, I'm hungry. I'm thinking about work. But I love Jesus, you know. It's kind of like what's going on all at the same time. (laughs) But your spirit is your true you. That's the one created to interact that. What does it look like? It looks like it in a lot of facets and a lot of dynamics. One of the ways we make his kingdom known is go get love. Worship the Lord. Go there, get love, and bring bring it to the earth. Right? We don't even have to go into the realm of miracles yet. We don't even have to go into the realm of prophetic word. Can you go to that world and get wisdom and bring it here? Can you go to that world and get love and get, let yourself be saturated with love and grace and kindness? And can you make it known? Heaven on earth, from heaven to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, teach us to pray. <laughs> Lord, let your will be your kingdom, your kingdom. You see again, he can't escape this idea of kingdom. Let the dominion and the rule of reign of God come. How does that, what does that look like? Jesus answers it, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the concept. That's the idea. Thanksgiving is the center point of all prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication. And thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I would point out in Romans 1 here, what he says is, although they knew God, they didn't honor him, nor did they glorify him, nor did they give thanks. And what happened when the people didn't give thanks is they became futile in their thinking and senseless in their minds, and and their minds became darkened. So an absence of thanksgiving leads to a clouded mind. An absence of thanksgiving leads to a darkened mind. And so what's the opposite of that? The presence of thanksgiving leads to an illuminated mind. The presence of thanksgiving leads to an expanded mind. So prayer acti- thanksgiving activates prayer. It's a whole idea. When you go to pray, you don't really feel like praying, but if you just start entering in with thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I thank you. you f- find something, write it down. I tell the story of a guy who lost his son, and he was the pastor guy, and he, like, his son was killed in an accident, totally disillusioned him with the Lord, totally, like, blew him away, like, spun out, whole deal. And, like, three years had gone by, and he just all but renounced his faith. It's like he loved Jesus, but he didn't want to serve anymore. He just didn't, he was too broken in his heart. And he had a pastor, another guy, tell him, he said, thank him. Just begin to thank God. And the guy's like, thank God for what? My son's dead. No, no, it's our stuff. And he's so, so, so angry with the Lord. And so he said he just got, got alone and closed his bedroom. And he's just, just like, I thank you. And he just began this process of forcing himself into thanksgiving. And it's like a well broke. And this God's grace just fell on him. He started crying and everything and just opened everything back up to him that wasn't there before. Why do we give thanks? Psalm 106. Praise the Lord and give thanks, for he is good. Say this with me. Jesus is good all the time. He's in a good mood. Come on. He's in a good mood. He's always happy to see me. Always. That's right. He is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. I love the last part. His love endures forever. What does that mean? That should be comforting to most of us, because you need enduring love. Right? Have you ever been with you for any length of time? You need, you need enduring love. You need a love that doesn't turn away. You need a love that's not ashamed. You need a love that is for you even when you're against yourself. And that's what it says. And so what, what does it say? Give thanks because he's good. And give thanks because he loves you and is for you no matter what. You need a reason to give thanks, Lord? I thank you that you are for me no matter what. I thank you that you know my good, my bad, my ugly, and you love me just the same. I thank you that you are good and you are working all things out to my good. And no matter what I see, think, feel, or experience, you are working it out for my good because your word says so. I thank you that you are good. He 
is good and he loves you and it endures. Wow. I think of how many times I need enduring love. Goodness and the love of God. We give thanks for what he has done. So this is, by, this is an action of faith. Get out in front of you. Here's a story. Um, well, not, this isn't the one. This, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But this is Psalm 71. It says, I will solemnly remember the deeds of the Lord. What has he done? What has Jesus done in your life? Where have you seen God encounter you? Where? When's the last time the Lord, you've had an experience with the Lord where he showed up, that something good happened, that he met your prayer, he met your need, he did anything for you? When's the last time that happened? If you're not experiencing God, you're not growing. This faith is experiential, in case you didn't know that. The Bible says that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of who he is, Ephesians. That word to know is the Greek word experience. But we treat it like we know. Oh, I know the love of God. I know. That's not what it's saying. Experience. Have you experienced the love of God? Have you experienced that love? That's what he wants. So what has he done? Has he saved you? Has he forgiven you? Has he given you hope? I mean, find something. Remember what he has done. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will meditate on his works. I will meditate upon what he has done. So what he gives, what he has already done, we give him thanks, Lord. I thank you that you have brought me from my past. If you're a Christian and you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, just remember where you came from. Hello? Remember who you were before you came to Jesus. Is Jeremiah in here? No. Oh, yeah. We should get you to show your driver's license one day. Before, after, before, after, you know? The pictures of who he was before he gave his life fully to Christ and the pictures of who the person is after. It's like startling. We used to, you, Jeremiah used to walk around with his driver's license. This is me before Jesus. This is me after Jesus. Any questions? <laughs> he was a frightening looking dude. He was a cool looking dude, but he was a little scary looking dude at the same time. What has he done for you? Remember what he has done. Who were you? Where has he brought you from? I'm telling you, if you walk with Jesus and your family doesn't, and you walk with Jesus for any length of time, look at the separation now between you and him and your family. If you will walk with the Lord and your family, even your family, the longer you walk with the Lord, the greater the differentiation happens in your life. It just, it's, it's like night and day. It, it's just really true. What has he done? We, we save all of our family members, but it's just, it's just a, a truth that we encounter. We're like, wow, you know, why, why is that and why is this? So we thank God for who, what he has done and we thank God for what he is going to do. This is, again, this is the faith action. So here's a story from the book of Chronicles. God has called them out. They're going to go and face this opposing army. Bad day. You know, these guys were facing an army. The people weren't, if you look at, read the story, the context of the story, the people were actually freaking out. They didn't think they could win the fight. They're freaking out. They're like, oh, man, these guys are smarter than me. They're smarter than us. They got more of them than us. And we just don't look like we can win this fight at all. And the Lord says, put worshipers out in front of the army. The king told the, the, the Lord told the king to put worshipers out in front of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And what song did they sing? Give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness endures forever. Are you facing a battle that's bigger than you? Are you facing a battle that's greater than you? Are you facing a battle that may seem like you're not going to win? The Bible says give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. For his faithful love endures forever. That's the idea. And so we give thanks. Father, I thank you that you have a destiny for me. I thank you that you have a purpose for me. I thank you, Lord, that my future is, has a hope and a surety and a calling upon it. And I thank you that you will be faithful to me even if I am faithless. You will be faithful to me even if I make wrong choices. You will be faithful. I thank you for what you're going to do. And everything you do is good. So how do we give thanks? Number one, open your mouth. This is big in our culture. We don't open our mouth. We have to open it. That's the difference between being grateful. Oh, I'm just so grateful, Lord, and opening your mouth. It's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. We open our mouths. Let's do it right now. Lift up your hands. Let's just say a real short, I'll give you a real short prayer. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for being for me. I thank you that everything is worked out for my good. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Just little simple prayers of thanksgiving. So we open our mouths. There's something that happens when we open our mouths. The Bible says even when it comes to salvation, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths. There's such a power in our vocal, what we say. 
There's power in words. The Bible actually tells you when it's talking about your circumstances. What shall we say to these things? If God's for you, who can wish you? In other words, it's telling you to talk to your circumstances. What are you going to say to that? What are you going to say to your bank account? Well, God's for me. You can't do it against me. <laughs> what shall we say to these things? We are to say it. We are to speak it. It's a form of prayer. It's called declarative prayer. I declare life comes from Paris. I declare that as the eyes of the world are on Paris, that hope rises from hate, that good comes from evil, that Jesus is glorified. We declare an uprising of the gospel in Paris. That these people, that's right, come on. These people who have renounced God long ago shall come to terms with their mortality and shall come to terms with the precariousness of their position. And that the gospel will rise in that city. That God will cause something good to come from this evil. That's right. That's a declarative prayer. We call what is not as though it was, just like our Father. He calls you who you are long before you get there. Vinny, more than a conqueror, overcomer. Yeah. You feel like that? Yeah. But I am. He calls you daughter. Do you feel like a daughter? Not always. But he calls you that. That's how he is. He calls you what you are long before you get there. So we express it through our offerings and our actions. A lot of people don't know this. Your offering is an actual an act of thanksgiving. We return to the whole idea of tithes and offerings, which is very sacred in the book of Leviticus. The whole idea of tithes and offerings are given to God as an expression of gratitude. Tithes and offerings aren't given, oh, I guess i got to go do it. He doesn't even tell you to keep it. But it tells you it's an act of gratitude. Lord, I'm thankful that you provide for me. I'm thankful for what you've done, for what you're doing, and by faith, I'm thankful for what you're going to do. That's the idea. It says, and when you sacrifice, not if you sacrifice, not if you feel like you sacrifice, it's when. So the expectation is, is that this is something that we as believers do. When you sacrifice, you say it's a sacrifice. You're dang right it is. It tells you it's a sacrifice. It's supposed to hurt. People, I tell people all the time, if, you know, and, and we, we have a, you know, tithing 10% is, is minimum, is obedience. But I tell people, if you can give, just start giving where you're at. Give it 1%, give it 2%, give it 3%, but continually increase that giving because the Lord will bless you. Some people, they're Christians even in here, and I, they've been enormously blessed because they tithe. I have people all the time tell me, this is the first church I ever tithe at. First church. I'm like, really? You've been a Christian how long? This is the first church you ever tithe at? Really? <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden, then they got increase in their life. And I always tell them, now the tithe doesn't hurt you. You don't feel the tithe. When you were like the little lowling on the, on the pedestal, and now you were given the, the tithe, it, it was painful to give that. Now, God has elevated you with his blessing, and now it no longer hurts to give the tithe. David said, make no offering to the Lord that costs you nothing. In other words, you should feel it. There should be a pain in the offering. There should be something. I feel it because my dependency is upon him. That's what it looks like. My favorite is, is when, when God blesses them, all of a sudden people think, well, I must be amazing. You know, I must be amazing because I just got that promotion at, at work. You know, I must be amazing. <laughs> Are your economics... And your spiritual growth are directly tied that way. You know, you can be loved and blessed by God, but if you do not operate according to the principle of the tithe, and I don't care what Dr. Phil or, you know, Dr. You know, Benny Hanna told you. That's what the Bible says, and it's a spiritual truth, and I've, I've practiced it my whole life. And I see it complete. I've never not given, but when there's a season when I haven't, when I was sort of in my little dissociated phase, I won't say my phase, that was my blue phase, but anyway, when I went through that phase, I noticed a huge difference in my life. When I give, there's a complete difference. And it's an actual act of worship. And it says, when you sacrifice, we sacrifice with thanksgiving. When we give, we give cheerfully, Corinthians says. And we give with thanksgiving. You shall sacrifice it to the Lord, and your sacrifice will be accepted. How many times does he say the word sacrifice? One, two, three. I think at least three times he says sacrifice in that, in that, in that verse. Four times. Four times he says sacrifice. Four times spiritual practice. So what does it look like? So that's what it looks like spiritually. So when we give, it's an offering. And it's an offering of gratitude. It's in a release of thanksgiving. It's a release of declaration. And then what's the practical? I'll give you, so that's all the spiritual stuff. What's it look like practically? How can I apply uh, thanksgiving practically? Well, number one, make a list of everything you're thankful for. This is something you can do today. If the Dolphins are losing and you're a football fan, just turn the game off and say, man, I'm going to be thankful for something. You know, make a list of all that you're thankful for. From the simple to the profound. From the most basic things all the way up. Just make a list. Make a list. I'm thankful for that I have a family. I'm thankful that I have my mom. I'm thankful that, you know, whatever it is, be thankful for it. 
I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're redeeming my family. I thank you that you're changing my situation. I thank you, God. Then by faith. Then it's practice faithful meditation. What does that mean? This is, this is what the Bible even said. I will meditate upon what he has done. Meditation is not a bad thing. It's because New Age has hijacked it. And we're like, oh, that's meditating. That's all meditation. I'm all for meditation. I love it. Mm, I want to hear heaven. I want to see what he's doing. I want to experience that. I want to meditate upon the Lord. I want to meditate on the things of God. This Bible tells well, these. This is what uh, science tells us. It's called neuroplasty. And the, the idea is that your mind can be molded by what you're considering and by what you're focusing on. Your mind can be molded. They discovered neuropathways opening in the brain of people who were thankful. Brain waves were increasing. People getting smarter just because they're thankful. Hey, man, I knew I didn't have to go to college. I knew it. I knew there was a better way. <laughs> you just be thankful, man. You're, it shapes the way you think. It shapes the patterns of your life. I told First Service, everything that we do, the Bible gives us this example of what it means to give birth. Not just to be born again in concept, but to be born into destiny. Babies come out head first. If you want to come out of a bad situation, and you want to come out of something that's bonded you, you have to come out head first. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way you perceive. And that includes your perceptions of God. A lot of people have bad perceptions of God. They think God is evil. He's not evil. He's good. And I always quote Philippians, and there's a passage in there where it tells you to pound it in. Pound it in. That's what it means in the Greek. Get this in your head. That's what it's telling you. Pound it in your brain, whether you think, feel like it or not. You know. So neuroplasty, brain and attitude can be shaped. This is what they discovered, that you can train the mind for greater positivity through gratitude and happiness. Practice this meditation for a few minutes. This is what they were suggesting to their patients. The, the, more you do, the, the more you do this, the more you will create neural pathways and alter existing ones. In other words, your negative thinking shifts to intentionally doing something else. You'll create neural pathways and alter existing ones as we train to develop more grateful moods. I don't know who that guy was, but Dr. Henry, or I looked him up. I couldn't find out who he was. He's clearly somebody because they quoted him on the, in the medical journal. So that's what they've been telling their patients. Do it intentionally and do it strategically. What does that mean? I refer to Daniel, the book of Daniel. The Bible says that he, Daniel pr prayed three times a day, as was his custom. He prayed three times a day. So Daniel is in a place he didn't want to be. He's a slave. He's working a job he really didn't like. He's serving a Babylonian king. I'm sure he wasn't going, oh, happy day for me. I get to serve the king today that I don't like among the people that I can't stand. You know, I get to stand right beside him. Wonderful. So he's in a situation he doesn't like, in a job that he doesn't like, in, in an experience that he doesn't like. It's hostile all around him. And it says he gave thanks three times a day. In other words, he didn't just make it up. He developed a strategy of thanksgiving. He strategically developed thanksgiving. That's how we got phones, man. Set your, set your clock. Set a, three, a triple alarm on your, on your uh, phone, you know. And you get up in the morning. Father, I thank you that you're with me today. Thank you that I am your child, and more than anything, you know, whatever it looks like, frame Thanksgiving. Do it at noon. Do it in the evening. That's, that's a strategy I'm suggesting. Make a list. Claim by faith. Meditate on what God has done. Meditate on what you want, what you believe God is already going to do. If you have a prophetic word, if somebody ever spoke, man, somebody told me a long time ago this was what was going to happen to me. Somebody told me a long time ago this was what my life was going to look like. I felt like God has shown me this vision of my life. Thank him for that. Thank you that your hope and your vision for me is sure. Thank you for what you've told over me is sure. Thank him for that. And be strategic about it. And that's the idea. So as we come into this season of Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you to be grateful. I want to encourage you to be thankful. And I want to encourage you most importantly to not just be thankful to the things around you, but to be thankful for the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all you creatures here below. Right? Praise him, uh, heavenly host, uh, benediction. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Say, I'm going to make a list. Anybody going to make a list? Yeah? Make a list. You can do it on your iPhone or your cell phone or whatever it is. You're going to make a list. You're going to meditate on the things God has done for you. And you're going to thank him. You thank him. Get alone. Do a group. Say, let's, let's have a Thanksgiving party. What are you thankful to God for? Some of you guys are getting together for Thanksgiving. You should get together with some friends, get together with some believers, and, and come together and just say, hey, I'd just like to share with you my list of what I'm grateful for. 
This is what I'm getting at. Just some suggestions. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to tell you this. That God loves you. He loves you just as you are. He loves you just where you are. And he's calling you and he's brought you to this place because he loves you. And he has something insanely greater for you than you could ever possibly imagine. He wants to give you a life of liberty, a life of freedom, free of guilt, free of shame, free of bitterness, free of unforgiveness. A life that's attached to it has a hope and a destiny. And if that's you this morning and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, today's your day. So we're going to close with a prayer. We're going to take communion. I'm already over. I apologize to all you guys because I keep talking and I forget about communion. So I want to apologize for that. Right off the bat, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got a communion issue. Straight off the bat, I'm like, okay. Anyway, off the bat for that. So if you're, you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. It's a simple transaction. Just open your heart and receive Him. And the church is going to pray together, and we're all going to pray as one. And all you got to do is just interact by faith and open your heart and pray with us. So let's pray it out. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. And I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Well, what we're going to do right now is if you would kindly make your way out and around and grab the communion elements. And um, for those of you that are new to this whole experience, the communion elements are the little cracker thing and the juice. And just bring it back to you to the chair and I'll explain it all and we'll pray it through. I'm doing it now. 